I don't know if you're awake or not at this point. Don't worry. I already decided you're having a great morning, so you can relax and just roll with it. This is going to be fun. We're in the book of Acts, master class. Uh, name that because it rhymes and it's more fun than just saying the book of Acts. So here's what we're doing. We've been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the book of Acts. So if you're not familiar with that, I'll hip you to it really quick. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts in your Bible, okay? And so a couple details about it. It was written by Luke, okay? So there was this guy named Luke. So Matthew, Mark, Luke wrote the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, he talks about everything that Jesus did in his life. But then he kept going with the story, kept following the movement of Jesus. And in the book of Acts, he talks about all Jesus continued to do through the church and through the power of his Holy Spirit. So we've been showing this map over and over again. When we're in the book of Acts, we're talking about 30 years of history that happens after Jesus' resurrection and 10,000 miles of gospel travel. So we're going to watch the gospel spread through the Roman Empire and into all kinds of different corners of the globe. And finally, the main character of the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. And we've talked at length already. We're thinking we're four weeks in, and we've talked about this thing called the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit is the main character in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is the one acting and moving and guiding people. And, and what we're trying to do this series is just normalize the Holy Spirit. It should be normal for people who follow Jesus to talk about the Holy Spirit, to know the Holy Spirit, to reference the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that you have to get weird and become irrelevant. The Holy Spirit is the guiding power and presence of Jesus in your life. As believers, we're led by the Holy Spirit, shaped by the Holy Spirit, and formed into the likeness of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's why that's good news. That means you don't have to do it all yourself. When I read the pages of Scripture, I get in there and I see a lot of stuff I can't do. I can't overcome my sin by myself. I can't overcome my failures by myself. I can't overcome my insecurities by myself. But the good news that we will come back to over and over and over again is I don't have to overcome those things myself because the Holy Spirit's power within me is at work doing those things even while I sleep. And so we talked about Jesus raising from the dead. We've talked about him telling the disciples, hey, you've got to wait till the Holy Spirit shows up because you don't stand a chance without him. Last week we talked about the Holy Spirit finally shows up and then all of a sudden the gospel is being proclaimed in all these different languages because all kinds of people were visiting Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost and they hear the wonders of God being poured out. I mean, it has been roses up to this point, you guys. It has been uplifting, kind-hearted, wonderful, fill-your-soul truth. But I have to give you a fair warning this morning, okay? Fair warning, all right? We are going to walk into some of the most offensive truths in the entirety of Scripture this morning. We are about to get into, okay, this is your chance. You can roll out. I won't even say anything. I'll, like fake, I'll, I'll fake a, a cough over here and you can sneak out because I am telling you, if you came here this morning for a pat on the back and a tickle of your ear, this is just not going to go that way. I don't think I have to explain to you guys that there are a lot of people around that hope Christianity would just go away. 
They believe the rules are archaic and how dare you say there's right and wrong. Nobody likes the concept of Jesus being king and you're not king. There's people who wish that it would go away. They call it dated. They call it offensive. They call it narrow-minded. And so they've written, the po- they've written the books about why we'd all be better off without religion. There's podcasts that you can go find about it. An anti-Jesus movement has been woven into the universities. This is no secret. But I'm telling you, what we're looking at today in Acts chapter 2, 14 through 41, is in fact the reason people are so offended. We're going to look at the truth head on. So like I said, the Holy Spirit shows up at Pentecost. All of a sudden, people are proclaiming the Word of God in a host of different languages by the power of the Holy Spirit. And from there, a crowd begins to draw and people start wondering what's going on. As a matter of fact, somebody starts looking at this whole commotion going on and they go, clearly these people have been drinking this morning because they are getting tea T-U-R-N-T up, turned up. They've been drinking, something's wrong here, and and there's got to be some explanation for this. And then the craziest thing happens. Peter, who always puts his foot in his mouth. Peter, who always makes a mess of things. Peter, who went running away from a little schoolgirl just a couple months ago, stands up to address the crowd. Verse 14, here we go, Acts 2.14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he calls their attention back to the Old Testament scriptures again. Remember week two, we talked about how Peter and and Jesus were often looking back to the Old Testament and they would talk about, hey, this is that moment. Hey, the the prophecy in the Old Testament was talking about what we're living right here and right now. We together are a part of it. It is happening in our midst. And so Peter does this again, but I like it this time because he's grown a little more confident. He feels a little empowered and he speaks with a little more punch in his words this time. And he says, you guys, nobody's been drinking. I mean, it's nine in the morning. Can I tell you what you're witnessing? You've studied the Word of God. You're the teachers of the law. You're the Pharisees. You're the ones who tried to get rid of the Messiah and stomp out His movement. But did you miss the book of Joel? Do you remember when Joel said, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out My Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on My servants, both men and women, I'll pour out My Spirit in those days. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter says, it's happening, you guys. Peter says, the days that you were longing for, this Messiah that was promised, this life-changing truth of a gospel and a savior and a hero, liberating mankind from sin and shame and death is upon you. And that Bible that you teach to people every single week, that Bible that you say you follow and you read and you care about, it's been talking about this day. We are watching it happen in our midst and something crazy happens. The very people who orchestrated a plot to kill Jesus and succeeded in it for the first time in their lives start to see that maybe Jesus really was the Son of God. 
The crowd around Peter grows. We believe he's somewhere in the temple, on the east side of the temple where large crowds could have fit. And it's one of those quiet crowds where everybody comes walking up, but everybody remains quiet. And then as people come to the back of the crowd, they sit and they're shh quickly so that everyone can continue to hear Peter explaining what he's about to tell them. This crowd grows to thousands. They're quiet and they're listening to Peter and he continues. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Offensive truth number one, Jesus is the Son of God. Not wise teacher, not mythical figure, not prophet, the Son of God sent by God to die for humanity and win humanity back to God. Jesus is the Son of God. And I have preaching envy here because did you hear what Peter said? He goes, you guys saw the miracles. I'm standing here. I'm talking to you. And John, you witness. See, when I preach, I have to go, hey, we have in Scripture from authority, like authoritative eyewitnesses. We trust the Bible. And here's why we trust the Bible. And they saw this. And this is what Jesus did. Peter got to stand up and go, hey, remember? Remember when we were there and we were teaching and everyone got hungry and all we had was these fish and these loaves and the five fish and two loaves and that boy gave up his lunchbox and then Jesus just started taking it and he fed thousands of people. John, you were there and you ate lunch that day. Joseph, do you remember you used to be able to look out your window and see that colony full of people with leprosy out in the distance and that terrible disease that ostracized those people and they used to just stay there at a distance and, and then they don't live there anymore. John, why, why don't they live there anymore? Because Jesus healed them. He said, Joseph, you, you used to live next door to that crippled man and they would walk him down to the city gates and he would beg all day and then they would walk him back and then they walked him down one day and then all of a sudden he came back skipping and whistling Dixie, happy to be alive because his legs were working. And he says, guys, there's an empty tomb over there. No one's produced a body. Anybody else dies in this land. We're going to just point to the body and say, he didn't resurrect from the dead, but Jesus rose from the dead. I challenge you on that. Go find a body. No one's found a body. Why? Because Jesus was who he said he was. He was accredited as the Son of God through his miracles. Peter uses this word accredited. It means validated or approved. (laughs) Britt and I were talking this week about how we wish there was playback in marriage. Like, you said you would pack the blah, blah, blah. Like, no, you said you would. And we wish like somebody would show up with an iPad and you could just do some playback and see like who and like be validated by that. Or like accredited is that like stamp of approval. Like uh, I did, um, I did the global entry pass because I wanted to start going to TJ more often. And it turns out that I've just used it way more often for the, the airports because you get the TSA pre with the global entry. And I'm just here to tell you the battle against self-righteousness hits an all-time high when you see a big, long line of people just nervous. If they're looking at the boarding pass. They're looking at their watch. They're sweating. And then you see all that going down. You see the line just going back down the hallway. And then you look and oh, they got TSA pre? Oh, yeah, we're good. If you've ever wondered if people in the TSA pre-line look down at you and think about it when you're in that big, long line, the answer is yes. (laughs) 
and you walk past the big long crowd of people stressed. They got to take their shoes and their belts off. You don't have to do any of that stuff. And you get, you get to the little entry in the little stanchions and there's a gate agent there and they check your boarding pass. And when you have the little emblem on your boarding pass, when you have the, when you have the little emblem on your boarding pass, we're on a tight ship around here, guys. You're accredited. You're approved. You're validated. What Peter says is those miracles you watched, the resurrection, the empty tomb, is God accrediting Jesus as his son. Man, people don't like that reality. You can talk about God, you can talk about a higher power, you can talk about the universe, you can talk about moral law, you can talk about all kinds of things. But don't you dare say Jesus is the Son of God. I'll never forget the first time I spoke at a commencement for a public high school and they sent me the little note. This is Midwest Bible Belt high school stuff and they still took the time to send me the letter that said hey we're okay uh, you being a pastor if you talk about God and you talk about uh, the higher power and all that stuff but we ask that you leave references to Jesus Christ or any specific religion out of your talk why is that because Jesus wasn't just accredited as the son of God those same miracles accredit him as Lord of humanity and he would later say, if you want to follow me, that means you serve me. If you want to follow me, you lay down your life and it's not about you anymore. I am Lord. I am director. I am driver. And if you want to know what truly living is, it starts when you become a slave and nobody wants to hear that. And yet it's where life is found. Peter continues, this man, that's Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. Offensive truth number two, it is our sin and wickedness that led to Jesus' death. Can you, can you get your head around that at 10.35 in the morning? I mean, isn't that what you woke up for this morning? You were like, we're going to church, baby. Like, it is going to be uplifting. It is going to be nice. And we, at the same time, have to get our heads around the idea that it is our sin and wickedness that led to Jesus' death. Peter uses this phrase in that scripture. He says, God's deliberate plan. And what Peter does there is he takes you all the way back to the beginning of creation. And it'd be Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 in your Bibles if you ever wanted to read it for yourself. And God paints this beautiful picture in creation. And he makes land and sky and water and sea and animals and all kinds of other things. And, and then he forms humanity, first man out of the dust. And his name's Adam. And he breathes into Adam. And Adam comes to life. And then from Adam, he makes Eve. And Adam and Eve are made to flourish in a life-giving relationship with God. That relationship is where they live. It's what brings them to life. It is made for us today. Like we are still brought to life and become everything we were made to be in relationship with God. But three chapters into the story, 
there's this tree and there's an apple and God says, hey, if you trust me, if you walk with me, if you believe me, you'll be raised to life. You'll have everything you need forever, but, but don't eat from this tree. And people will go, well, why would Adam and Eve eat an apple from a tree if God told them not to eat an apple from a tree? Well, it's not about an apple. It's about the rebellion in your heart and mine. And it's about them saying, you know what? Maybe we could make a life for ourselves that would be a better life for ourselves without God in it. How do we know that God really wants us to thrive and flourish and be everything he's made us to be. How do we know that that apple isn't actually what's going to be better? And people chase that apple all the time today. It's the apple of self-sufficiency. It's the apple of a number in my bank account. It is the apple of trying to look a certain way or accumulate enough followers or impress enough people. And people to this day give up on who God is and his blessing because they want the apple. And if you read that story, you would see the moment that mankind rebels from God everything bad enters the story. Decay, death, disintegration, destruction, all of it. Insecurity swell, rushes into the heart of humanity. People get nasty and afraid and out of their fear they do horrible things. But the biggest problem with that apple that day is those sins deserve to be punished. You guys, we're the same way. It is our rebellion. It's us telling God, I got this. I'm going to look elsewhere for life and for love and for fulfillment. And the same thing happens today. When we abandon God's goodness and try and create goodness on our own, the end result is always death, decay, and destruction. Our sins always lead to death, decay, and destruction to this day. Look at the world at any broken circumstance and I'll show, show you someone who put a palm up to God and said, I'm going to do this myself. And it is our sin and our failure. But here's the beautiful thing. God launched a deliberate plan. If you go right after Adam and Eve abandoned God, you would think maybe if you were God, I would just crumple this one up and start over. Maybe I'd kick these people out and go to another planet somewhere else and let them suffer. But God, instead of abandoning mankind, launches a plan through his son, Jesus. And he says, through the offspring of this woman, one will come into the world and he will tear down all the damages done on this day. And that was Jesus. The answer to our sins, our shame, our insecurity, our failure is Jesus Christ alone. That's it. And you go, well, why Jesus? Because damages have to be paid for. Uh, if you came over to my house and I cooked you a dinner and I was like, don't worry, ribeyes on me, medium rare, little mushroom sauce on the side, some mashed potatoes. It's going to be good. Uh, if you want, you can have a salad. You're not going to need a salad because it's going to be the best ribeye you've ever seen in your life. And I hit it with that reverse sear, pull it at 125, finish it off hot and heavy on the charcoal, and you just get that thing in. And I cut it open and it's bright pink. And then you go, oh my gosh, this is the best ribeye I've ever seen in my life. Like, I'm going to go to my car. I'm going to grab my phone so I can take a picture of this and document this special occasion and you were running and you bumped my lamp and it was a nice lamp from Target and it cost $39.95 uh, and the lamp just shatters on the ground as you're going to get your phone. Two things could happen at this point. You can go, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, I broke your lamp and I could go, oh, hey, no problem. 
Don't worry, it, just a lamp, go get your phone, like let's get the ribeye. Or I'd say, yeah, I mean, it's 39. I, I'm gonna need you to Venmo me before you eat because. <laughs> but but you, know, you know what the lamp shows us? In both of those instances, the damages have to be paid for. In, in scenario one, the punishment, the damage, and the restitution rest on you. Pay my $39.95. But in the other scenario, it's not like the damages don't exist. I take the damages upon myself. Why Jesus? Because in light of our sin and our failure, there's damages. And those damages have to be paid for. But instead of allowing the punishment to rest on us, God swallowed up the debt himself. He took the punishment we deserve and placed it on Jesus so we could live. Why Jesus? Because the damages had to go somewhere and God's love is so big, he let his son absorb the punishment we deserve for our sins. All of a sudden, the crowd is leaning in. The disciples are standing behind Peter, and they're like, oh no, Peter's talking again. What are we going to do? Like, Jesus, do you want to go, go say, I'm not bailing him out. They're going to kill him in a minute. And then Peter's up there, and he's like, I don't know. Um, well, this Jesus who you crucified, it, God made him Lord and Savior, and, and there were damages paid. We read Adam and Eve and all this stuff, and people are starting to nod along with them. And, 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 and the guys are back here, they're going, how's he doing this? And, and Peter's like, are you guys seeing this? I don't know why I'm doing this. And he's like, I'm going back in. And he's like, all right, verse 25, David said about Jesus, let me tell you another one. I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You, may, you have made known the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. Peter's quoting another psalm and he's about to slap everybody in the face. He goes, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and he knew that God promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. What is going on here? Simply this, Jesus is greater than David. And on that crowd, in that audience, on that day, that was a big, bold claim. David, Israel's greatest king ever. David, the man after God's own heart. These young men had been raised on stories of who David was. And they learned about the mighty men and the military battles. And they were told, one day, another king like David is coming. He's going to sit on a throne. And, and these men were challenged to emulate the great courage of King David and be like him one day. And Peter goes, yeah, you know your hero? You know the one you want to be like? You know the one that they said is great? Well, guess what? His bones are still in a tomb. There's a crypt here in Jerusalem. Just go down Main Street, hang a left on, on you know, Judas Lane, and, and down there you can go see David's bones. Can I tell you whose bones aren't in a tomb? Jesus' bones. 
Can I tell you who is a greater king? It is Jesus. And, and what would they interpret that? What would they do with that? Well, it would be offensive truth number three. Our good deeds mean nothing to God compared to Jesus' great deed on the cross. Peter takes the greatest his hero in all of Israel. He goes, you think that was something? He's a pile of bones over there. You think the military conquests and the great stories of victory and the Goliath thing was something? Well, you just watch Jesus conquer sin and death once and forever. Jesus' follower never get caught in the trap of thinking it is your clean language and, and, and the way you show up places on time and, and the way you manage your diet and nutritious foods and the way you don't cuss and your church attendance and generosity that make you acceptable before God. If it wasn't good enough what David did, it is certainly not good enough what you and I did. And what he was trying to describe to them and to us is that our good deeds mean nothing uh, on God's great score, scorecard. Do you remember Isaiah 64? All of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. They shrivel up like a leaf. And we, like the wind of our sins, and like the wind of our sins, sweep us away. Translation. You can't earn God's love with your good behavior. If you've been saving up a pile of your moral effort that you're going to show God when you stand before Him one day, Isaiah is wonder, warning you that that will mean nothing to him in that moment. All that will matter to him is who is Jesus to you. That's it. And you're kidding yourself if you think a little more attendance, letting somebody drive in front of you in traffic or the way you consider yourself a nicer than average person means anything to God. And Peter goes in, and everybody's listening. And he says in verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. First, can we just time out and go, whoa, what a difference the Holy Spirit makes? It was about 55 days ago, this same man was sitting outside the temple as Jesus was being tried and sentenced to death around a small fire. The young woman next to him, said, the young woman says, hey, you speak like one of those Galileans. Are you with Jesus? And Peter says, no. She says, are you sure? Because you sound like them. I even think I saw you with them. And Peter says, no, three times. Peter would say, I have nothing to do with Jesus and nor will I ever. And now the same man is standing in front of the mob that Jesus crucified saying the words, be assured of this. That man you killed is Lord and Messiah. 
He's the only proper Lord of your life. He is the only one you can serve that won't make you a slave. Serving Him is the only thing that will turn your chaos into order. And He's Messiah. He's the one sent by God to forgive sin, to heal hearts, and to bring new life. And then the most astonishing thing happens. Peter's looking out across the thousands. And he's shocked to see glassy red eyes filling up with tears. And he realizes in that moment that God has used, something, used him to do something bigger than he ever thought possible. Verse 37, it says, when the people heard this, that's Peter, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Man, you guys can start working your way up. Brothers, what should we do? We can't undo this one. We can't unkill him. How do we get out of this? How do we get from here to life? Like, there's no going back on what we did and, and it is abundantly clear now that He was the one and we killed the one. It's our sin. It's our failure. It's our mistakes. What do we do with that? And I thank God for verse 38 because it's the only reason I'm here. Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I've heard this a hundred times. But you know what got me this week? God offers the people who killed Jesus the same forgiveness, blessing, and Holy Spirit that he offered his disciples. Do you know what that means? It means his love runs far deeper than our rebellion ever could. And he gives them the simple instructions. Repent and be baptized. Let's talk baptism first. We're actually celebrating one today. It's going to be cool. Why baptism? It was modeled by Jesus. Jesus got baptized, not because he needed cleansed of his sins, but as an example to us. It's commanded in the scriptures. They said, what do we do? And Peter responds, be baptized. And it's practiced everywhere in the New Testament. Who should get baptized? Anyone who's made their own decision to follow Jesus should be baptized as soon as possible. Anyone the gift of new life and salvation is for anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, who's made their own decision, who said, I want this for myself. That could happen at all kinds of different ages and stages, but the important thing is that somebody making their decision. Some, some of us ha had an upbringing where maybe we were christened as a child or uh, you felt like everybody else was getting baptized, so you need to get baptized. And, and I'd say those might have been wonderful, beautiful gestures, but I would say if, unless it was your decision, you lunging for God in your heart, then that wasn't actually your baptism. Getting baptized would be your baptism. 
and should do it as soon as possible because we're going to watch in Acts. When people know it's time to get baptized, they don't go home dry. It says you do that and you repent. Now repent is an interesting word. It, it sounds, you're picturing a guy with a megaphone. I mean, it even looks weird. Just big old black letters, repent. But when you come to understand what repentance truly is, you realize that it is a word filled with grace and mercy. This word is actually borrowed from Roman culture in the military. It's the word metanoia. And so when a town was being sieged and it's completely surrounded and cut off from food and water and people are inside the walls of this town and they're ready to meet their end and things just aren't working, a general from the opposing army would come out and yell, Metanoia! Metanoia! And it was an invitation to leave the losing team and to start a new life on the side of victory. That's where repentance gets relevance because some of us have been on the losing team. Fighting battles to prove yourself, establish yourself, or heal yourself. And here's the truth, it's just not working. But Jesus, in his kindness, and in his love for us offers us the chance to leave our failure behind and take up a new life with him. That's our gospel. So we're gonna do one more song. I wanna invite you to stand right now. I'm gonna lead a prayer in case even today you need to repent or re-repent. We're going to move towards Jesus in this song. Would you pray with me? Uh, Jesus, we do that right now. We turn from our self-sufficiency, our attempts to improve ourselves, heal ourselves, and save ourselves. We turn from that. We thank you for your grace, for your love, for your mercy that were poured out on a cross with us in mind. And Jesus, we ask that you would bring healing, that you would take our pain, our shortcomings, and our hurts, and that you would heal us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you guys join me in this song?